Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? We've got the cure. Three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Hi, it's the Reading Bug. Today's episode of Reading Bug Adventures is sponsored by Scholastic and The Christmas Pig by J.K. Rowling the author of the Harry Potter series. It's a perfect family read-aloud for this holiday season. You can purchase a Christmas pig at thereadingbug.com or your local independent bookstore. Thanks to Scholastic for their support. Hello, reader. Welcome back to Reading Bug Adventures, written, performed, and produced by all of us at The Reading Bug, our family-owned independent bookstore. This week, it's a full bonus story episode of our Independence Day adventure. This is our last episode of the year, but we'll be back in the spring with more all-new original stories and songs. Thank you for all your support through the holiday season, and please continue to support us by shopping with us at thereadingbug.com and readingbugbox.com. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and engage children across the globe. And you can help us by purchasing books, games, toys, or book subscriptions. You can find all the books from your favorite Reading Bug adventures to help continue the adventure after the episode is over at thereadingbug.com slash adventures. And remember, it's never too late for online gift cards. You can purchase gift cards for our bookstore at thereadingbug.com or for our subscription box at readingbugbox.com, and they'll be emailed to you right away. You can also make The Reading Bug a part of your school or group fundraising activities with virtual book fairs. We do all the work and set up a custom shopping page, and your group gets a percentage of the sales. For more information, contact us at talkback at readingbugadventures.com. Now, before we get started on our adventure, let me thank a few special friends. A great big hello and thank you to our newest patrons, Eli from Tennessee, Lucy from Texas, Emma and Margot from San Carlos, Miles and Asa from Seattle, Lachlan and August from Down East Maine, and Searsha from Washougal, Washington. You're part of what makes Reading Bug Adventures podcast possible. To become a patron and support our work, please visit patreon.com slash readingbugadventures. Thanks also to Resonate Recordings, who does the sound mixing and mastery for our podcast, and to all of our sponsors. Okay, reader, are you ready for another adventure with me and the Reading Bug? Great! Then let's fly! It's time for a Reading Bug Adventure! It's a reading bug adventure, there's lots of fun in store. Just inside our book bag, there's new places to explore. Grab your crayons and paper, and your imaginations too. The reading bug and I can't wait to share our trip with you. Well, hello, reader. Thanks so much for joining me on another adventure today. Yeah, thanks for joining us on today's revolutionary adventure, Reader. And look who I've brought along to adventure with us. Spelling Bee! Hi, hi, hi! I'm so looking forward to joining you in another beautiful adventure. Whoa! Reader! Bee! Bug, did you see that? That girl just stomped by us and she kicked over a potted plant. She looks really upset. 
Whoa, hey, it's okay to be angry or frustrated, but please don't take it out on the plants. My name is Lauren, and this is my reader friend. Is there anything we can do to help? Just leave me alone. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Just like the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You can't do anything to help me. Just buzz off. Buzz off. (laughs) Good one. Huh? Who said that? Would you like to tell us what happened? Sometimes, when I'm upset, it helps for me to talk about it with a friend. I'm running for class president at school. Oh, wow! Good for you! It's wonderful to get involved at school like that. That's what I thought, too. But I'm running against three boys, and one of them told me that girls never get elected president, so I might as well drop out. I was angry, but then I looked it up, and he was right. The United States has had 45 different presidents, but they've all been men. Maybe that boy is right, and it's foolish for me to be running for class president. I really don't want to lose. It would be so embarrassing. Oh, wow. I can understand why that would make you angry and scared. But can I share something with you? I guess. I feel angry and scared sometimes, too. But I have to remind myself that I'm a girl. I'm fantastic. I'm strong, brave, and proud. And when I put my mind to it, I know that I can do it. That's a line from one of my favorite books, Girls Can Do Anything, by Carol Hart. It has pictures of girls exploring, making art and music, conducting science experiments, and playing different sports. And it's absolutely true. Girls can do anything. Just because one book says girls can do anything doesn't mean it's true. I think I'm going to drop out of the class election. I'd rather not try at all. Whoa. Hold on just a second. There isn't just one book that says girls can do anything. There are hundreds of them. Books like Little Leaders, Bull Women, A is for Awesome, Her Story, 50 Women and Girls Who Shook Up the World, and Rad American Women A to Z, Rebels, Trailblazers, and Visionaries Who Shaped Our History, and Our Future. Each of these books tells true stories of girls and women who were trailblazers, showing the world that girls can accomplish anything they set their minds to. Just because we haven't had a female president yet doesn't mean amazing women haven't been doing amazing things for centuries. You shouldn't give up on your dreams to be president of the student body just because of what some silly kid said. Just because a girl hasn't won before doesn't mean that you can't be the very first one. Wait, what? Was that bug just talking? Oh, yeah. I forgot to introduce you to our two other friends. The little bug sitting on my shoulder is the reading bug. Hi. And the bee buzzing over here? Is the spelling bee. Nice to meet you. Oh, great. You're playing some kind of trick on me. Well, it's not very funny. Bugs can't talk. I beg your pardon. The reading bug and spelling bee are very special. The reading bug can talk, and she can also read books. Lots and lots and lots of books. And the spelling bee likes nothing more than spelling words and casting spells. The reading bug has a magic book bag that she uses to take my reader friend and me on wonderful adventures to all kinds of different places in the past, present, and future. I don't believe in magic. People can't travel through time except in science fiction books and movies. Why don't you come with us on our adventure today and see for yourself? I think it might cheer you up. And there's someone special that I'd like you to meet who might just inspire you to think again about running for class president. If you really do have a magic book bag that takes you on adventures, why are you standing around talking to me? 
Don't you have some place better to be? Our adventure is always to a place and a time that the reading bug has been reading about. She puts the books she has been reading in her book bag, and that's how the magic begins. Then, powered by the book bag's magic and our imaginations, we travel through time and space on an amazing adventure. Reading bug, can you tell us some of the books you've brought with you in your book bag today? I sure can, Lauren. Let me see. I've got Chains by Lori Hoss Anderson, Johnny Tremaine by Esther Forbes, Founding Mothers of the United States by Celine Castroville, Leave It to Abigail by Barb Rosenstock, and Who Was Betsy Ross by James Buckley Jr. Oh, I know who Betsy Ross is. My mom and dad told me that they named me after her. So, your name is Betsy? That's right. Mom says that we are actually distant relatives of Betsy Ross. That's so cool. Betsy Ross was born in colonial America, before there was a United States of America. The British controlled the American colonies back then, and women mostly stayed at home and took care of their families. But Betsy was different. When her husband died, she didn't listen to the people who said that a woman couldn't run a business. Instead, she opened a shop in Philadelphia, where she made and repaired curtains, tablecloths, bed covers, and rugs. She became known as one of the best seamstresses in Philadelphia, and during the American Revolution, George Washington brought her a sketch of the first American flag and asked her to make a sample that he could show to the new Continental Congress. Later, the Congress passed a law that the flag of the new United States of America would look like the sample that Betsy Ross made. During the American Revolution? The American Revolution was the war the American colonists fought in with the British to win their independence from the British king. Do you know how many colonies there were in America? I know there were 13 colonies because Betsy Ross's flag had 13 stars and 13 stripes, which stood for the 13 colonies. Exactly right, Betsy. Lauren, do you know the names of the original 13 American colonies? Well, I know that one of them was Massachusetts, because we visited Massachusetts on one of our adventures when we went to the first Thanksgiving celebration there. And I'm pretty sure that New York was another colony, right? Right. Betsy, you told us that Betsy Ross lived in Philadelphia, which is a city in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania must have also been a colony. That's three. Reader, do you know any of the other ten? The other ten colonies were New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Reading Bug, are we traveling back in time to the American Revolution on our adventure today? That was more than 200 years ago. You guessed it. We're going back to the American Revolution, which is also called the U.S. War of Independence, and I'm hopeful we can meet a very special someone on our trip. Who? I gave you a couple of clues earlier. Remember, I told you that I brought the books Founding Mothers of the United States and Leave It to Abigail with me for our adventure? Yes. Is that who you're hoping we'll meet then, Reading Bug? Abigail something? Yes, yes, yes. Abigail Adams. She was the wife of John Adams, the second president of the United States. We've all heard a lot about our founding fathers, famous men like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and John Adams. But Abigail Adams is considered to be one of the most famous founding mothers of the United States of America. She is also often referred to as America's first feminist. As long as we're heading back in time, I thought Mrs. Adams might be exactly the person Betsy should meet. I'm not saying I believe you yet, 
But uh, if we were to be going back in time together today, I do think it would be fun to meet Abigail Adams and to learn from her. But heading back in time and into the middle of a dangerous war doesn't sound exactly safe. I learned in school that lots of colonists died during the American Revolution and that there were shortages of basic supplies like food, weapons, and blankets. It could be really dangerous. Don't worry, Betsy. Lauren, Reader, and I have been on a lot of adventures together, and we've faced different kinds of danger on each of them. But we always figure out a way to get home, safe and sound. The reading bug is right, Betsy. It wouldn't be an adventure without a little danger. Remember, girls can do anything. Before we go, we always stretch out to get ready for whatever awaits us on our journey together. A little stretch I'm guessing you'll feel a lot better about going with us. Everybody, stand up unless you're buckled into your car or tucked into your bed, and wiggle your fingers and toes. Are you wiggling? Great. Now, stretch your arms up high over your head. Perfect. Stretch up high, touch the sky, crouch down low and wiggle your toes. Swing your arms from side to side. Let's get ready to go. Stretch up high, touch the sky, crouch down low and wiggle your toes. Swing your arms from side to side. Now we're ready to go. That did feel great. One last thing before we go. Reader, did you remember to bring crayons and paper with you today so you can draw illustrations of all the things that we see and do on our trip back in time to the American Revolution? Illustrators draw the pictures in the books we read, and just like them, you can draw pictures of everything we experience today. You can draw anything you want, and your illustrations will help you retell our story to your friends and family when we head back home. At the end of today's adventure, we'll take some time to listen to music and draw our illustrations, but you're welcome to stop and draw at any time. Just pause the podcast and press play again when you're ready to continue. I can't wait to see all the pictures you'll draw. If you didn't remember to bring crayons and paper, don't worry. Just press pause or have a grown-up do it for you and get them now. The reading bug, the spelling bee, Betsy and I will wait right here for you. B, I know that you love casting spells just as much as you love spelling. So do you want to cast a spell to take us on our adventure today? I do. I do. How about this? Magic book bag take us back to the American Revolution when the colonists were fighting to create a new nation. They battled the British because they wanted to be free to form a new type of government, a democracy. Don't forget about Abigail Adams. I mean, if this thing really works. We hope that on our adventure today we encounter Abigail Adams, one of this country's founders. Great rhyming, Bee. Wow, what's happening? That little bag is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Big enough to fit us all inside. And I can't believe my eyes, but I think I see things floating around inside. Those are from the books that the reading bug brought with her. Images come to life with the magic we were telling you about. Reader, I can see lots of different animals. White-tailed deer, red and gray foxes, wolves, and black bears. I see a giant bell, and it's a beautiful bronze color. I see men and boys wearing three-cornered hats, Long coats to come down to their knees, white shirts, knee socks, and black shoes with big buckles on them. I see them too. The men's hair is pulled back into ponytails, and there are women and girls wearing long dresses with long scars over their shoulders, 
stockings and flat buckled shoes and white mop caps on their heads, just like the cap that Laura wore in the pictures from the Little House on the Prairie books. Most of the images look peaceful, but I can see soldiers marching just over there. Some are wearing black three-cornered hats, red jackets, and white pants. Those must be the British soldiers. They were called the Redcoats because of their red jackets. I also see soldiers who appear to be wearing their ordinary everyday clothes, some whose clothes are very ragged. I bet those soldiers are the colonists. They were called the Patriots. P-A-T-R-I-O-T. A patriot is a person who loves his or her country and is ready to bravely support and defend it. The colonial soldiers were called patriots. There are lots and lots of interesting words in the book bag, too. Words like Continental Congress, Declaration of Independence, Hessian, Boston Tea Party, Muskets, and Bayonets. I also see letters, not the kind that make up words, but the kind you send in the mail. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of them, and they're all signed either by Abigail or John Adams. There could easily be thousands of letters. I read that Abigail Adams was an amazing letter writer. She wrote over 2,000 letters, and many of them to her husband, John. Oh no, I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's just so, so awful. Spelling Bee, what is it? What did you see? Reading Bug, was there anything horrible or scary in the books you brought? I don't think so. The letters, they're horrifying. It's, it's spelling slaughter. Spelling slaughter? The letters, all the letters are jam-packed with misspelling. So many that it would take me hours and hours to correct them all. Didn't John and Abigail Adams ever learn how to spell? I'm looking at orthographic annihilation. O-R-T-H-O-G-R-A-P-H-I-C. Orthography is a set of rules for writing, including rules for how to spell words correctly. <laughs> Calm down, B. It's not that bad. Abigail's letters did include many misspelled words. But back then, everyone spelled the same words in different ways because there weren't rules for how to spell words until Noah Webster published his first dictionary in 1806. Oh! B. Just think of our adventure today as a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to mitigate misspelling mayhem by setting the record straight on how to spell some of the words that we come across. Are we going to wait here all day agonizing over spelling errors, or are we going to get on with this adventure? That's what I thought. Okay. Betsy, are you ready for this? How about you, Bee? Reader? Great. Then on the count of three, let's jump into the book bag together. One... Two, three, jump! Let's jump inside our book bag. What will we find there? Imaginations run away. What's in our book bag? Our trusty book bag. What will we learn about today? This is incredible. It sure is. The book bag is taking us up, up, up into the sky, and we're floating over the clouds, looking down on vast areas of land. Betsy, look at this. My watch is counting backwards. That means we're going back in time. More than 200 years back to the American Revolution. Look, as we float through the sky, we are approaching the edge of the North American continent. I see towns on the coast that are surrounded by small, tidy houses. Some are made of brick or stone, and others are made of wood. The houses are dotted about a landscape filled with green pastures where horses and cows are grazing 
pens where pigs are rooting, wooden barns where chickens are pecking for food outside, and tiny green plots of land where corn, wheat, vegetables, and other crops are growing. Between some of the houses, there are dark green forests. I bet that's where all the wild animals swirling around in the book bag live. I also see a few villages surrounded by log walls with small round houses built around a central square. I read that the Wampanoag Indians lived in small round houses called Weetoos, or wigwams. The villages with round houses are probably Wampanoag villages, but we're heading in a different direction, towards a small village located close to a river just south of the town. It's filled with houses, not wigwams. Hold on tight, this book bag is coming in for a landing. Coming in for a... I sure hope we don't land in the middle of a battlefield. A what? Is this really happening? Lauren, pinch me. I think I must be dreaming. Ouch. Hey, what was that? It sounds like we may have landed in the middle of a battlefield after all. What are we going to do? Those sounds are pretty far away. At least I think they are. And maybe... We are only hearing the sounds of fireworks. I read that the first organized Independence Day took place on July 4, 1777, exactly one year after the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence. Just like our 4th of July celebrations today, there were picnics and dinners, military demonstrations, and fireworks. C-O-N-T-I-N-E-N-T-A-L the Continental Congress was a group of men who were authorized by 13 colonies to represent them and who acted on their behalf. Yep, but it could be a battle. It could. There's really only one way for us to find out. We're going to have to get out of the book bag. Smelling Bee and I will go first. Follow us. I think we're safe, at least for now. Look, we've landed on the top of the hill. There aren't any soldiers up here. Just a woman and a boy gazing out across a valley into the distance. I guess we should introduce ourselves, right? Uh, hello, ma'am. Oh my goodness, you startled me. Who on earth are you? Girls dressed in pants? And boys without hats and waistcoats? Dressed like that, you're certainly not from around here. But you don't look like redcoats or hessians either. Hessians were German soldiers that the British hired to fight for them in the American Revolution. Oh, no. We're not British or Hessians. We're Americans. Americans? My name is Lauren. This is Betsy. And this is our reader friend. We're here on an adventure from the future. We are dressed like this because in the future, girls and boys all dress pretty much the same way. Unless we're dressing up, most of us wear pants or blue jeans and t-shirts. We traveled here today with the reading bug and the spelling bee in a magic book bag. Time travel? Magic? I don't mean to frighten you, but you should not be talking about those things here. Most of the colonists here in Massachusetts Colony are Puritans, and we believe that all magic is evil, and that people who practice magic are witches. Most people here want to drive these witches out of our communities or worse. Johnny, stand behind me, dear. I'll protect you. Yes, Mother. Oh no, we aren't witches or wizards, but we do know some, and our magic book bag is good, not evil. Mama, they have pet bugs, you see? I'm not the only one that likes to collect insects. The reading bug and spelling bee aren't exactly pets. They're our friends. A spelling bee? I could certainly use one of those. My spelling is terrible, and my handwriting is not much better. You know, this is all very... strange. 
But today has already been a very strange and frightening day, so I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. Where are my manners? My name is Abigail Adams, but you should call me Abigail. This is my oldest son, John Quincy. Abigail Adams? Pleased to meet you, ma'am. I'm only seven years old, but I'm the man of the house now because my father is far away in Philadelphia. Yes, dear girl, I am Abigail Adams. I would ordinarily offer a group of travelers such as yourself a cup of tea, but we're not drinking tea these days, not since the Boston Tea Party. But I would ordinarily offer a group of travelers such as yourselves a cup of coffee. Way back in 1773, the British placed a tax on tea. Way back? The tea tax made the colonists very angry because they loved to drink tea. They were so mad they decided to fight back. When three British ships sailed into the Boston Harbor, some of the colonists painted their faces to look like Native Americans, leapt on board the ships, and dumped tons of valuable tea into the harbor. Their actions made King George III, back in Great Britain, furious. He shut down the Boston Harbor and passed even worse laws to punish the people of Boston. That's exactly right, little bug. Now, I would ordinarily offer you coffee and jumble cookies, but there is no time today for coffee and cookies. I'm afraid you've arrived at a terrible time. Oh no, what's happening? Is it more bad spelling? I heard some loud noises this morning that sounded like gunfire. So John Quincy and I climbed up this hill with my spyglass to see if we could find the source of the noises. S-P-Y-G-L-A-S-S. A spyglass is a small collapsible handheld instrument that makes distant objects appear nearer. It's similar to a set of binoculars, but only for one eye. John Quincy and I have been watching what appears to be a terrible battle between the Redcoats and the Patriots that is taking place right in Boston. We're too far away to tell who is winning, but from the number of shots and volume of the smoke, I think we're witnessing a major battle. I'm worried that if the Redcoats win, they will march to our homes, since we are only 10 miles from Boston. A major battle in Boston? Abigail, can you tell us what day it is? Yes, of course. It's June 17th, 1775. Abigail, you and John Quincy are watching the Battle of Bunker Hill. It's the first major battle of the American Revolution. But how could you know? I read in Magic Treehouse American Revolution that the Battle of Bunker Hill took place on June 17, 1775, when the British saw that the Patriots had built a fort on Breed's Hill. They marched up the hill to destroy the fort. The Patriots had meant to build the fort on Bunker Hill, but their commander ordered them to build it on Breed's Hill, which was nearby. Someone is approaching. Quickly, John Quincy, hide behind me. The rest of you, please, don't talk about magic or all our lives will be in danger. Mistress Adams, I've been looking everywhere for you. I am Paul Revere, and I've been sent to bring you news of the Battle of Bunker Hill that is taking place in Boston. Paul Revere? I went to your house, but I only found your servants and your little ones there. All that your daughter Nabby could tell me was that you and your son had left to find a hill where you could view the fighting. Thank you so much for bringing us news of the battle, Master Revere. I hope that it is good news. John Quincy and I have been watching up here since early this morning, and our friends have just joined us. But we have not been able to determine who is winning and who is losing. Reading Bug, that man said he was Paul Revere. We have all read about him. He's the American hero who rode through the villages and farms to warn other colonists that British soldiers had crossed the Charles River and were headed to Concord, yelling, The British are coming! The British are coming! as he wrote. Yes, I read in Who Was Paul Revere? 
that Paul Revere loved to ride horses and that he often rode to deliver messages from the Sons of Liberty. Unfortunately, the news is not good. I've been sent by the Sons of Liberty to tell you and the other women and children in this area that although the Patriots have beaten back the Redcoats twice today and kept them from taking the hill, they have now run out of ammunition. The Redcoats are preparing to launch their third attack, and if the Patriots lose this battle, the Redcoats will likely march this way, and your life and those of your children and neighbors will be in grave danger. Master Revere, my husband John advised me in one of his recent letters that in case of real danger, I must flee to the woods with our children. But I cannot leave the farm, our workers, our crops, and our livestock. Instead, I will stay here and fight. You cannot stay. There are no men here to defend you. You are only a woman. No, your only choice is to flee as your husband has advised you to. Wait just one second there, Mr. Revere. Abigail may be a woman, but she is not only a woman. That's right, dear. Master Revere, you say that I cannot do the work of a man. Well, during John's absence, I have dug potatoes and hired farmhands to work our crops. I have preserved food while teaching all four of my children to read and write. I have bargained for food and bartered for supplies. I have invested our money, and I have fed the militia and housed refugees fleeing Boston. In short, I have successfully undertaken all of the tasks that were formerly my husband's. If I can perform a man's work, then rest assured that I am also capable of making my own decisions. You tell him! Let me tell you what we will do. If the Patriots need more ammunition, we will make it, and you will carry it back to them. Last month, at my brother's suggestion, I melted my pewter spoons in a kettle over the fireplace and poured the liquid pewter into bullet molds that my brother had brought to me. It was like a bullet soup, right, Mother? Yes, it was, dear. And although I have no more pewter, I do still have those molds. But your neighbors will have more pewter. Mistress Adams, your plan is an excellent one. I will ride through town to gather pewter from your neighbors, and together we can quickly make new ammunition for our patriots to use in their battle against the Redcoats. I will return with the pewter just as quickly as my horse's legs can carry us. Godspeed and good luck. And that is why Abigail Adams is known as America's first feminist. She was a firm believer women could and should be able to do anything that men could do. And she wasn't shy about saying so. Feminist? Sadly, I had never attended school and I don't know what that word means. Don't worry, Abigail. I do. F-E-M-I-N-I-S-T. A feminist is a person who believes that women are entitled the same social, educational, and political rights and opportunities as men. Well, if that's the definition of a feminist, then I certainly am one. Though I may be the only feminist in the colonies, because women certainly don't have the same rights as men here. Nor do they have equal rights in Great Britain. Women are denied the right to an equal education, and we also lose control over our property if we ever had any, when we were married. Additionally, only men are allowed to make contracts or sue anyone. And have you noticed that all 60 delegates to the Second Continental Convention in Philadelphia are white men? As I wrote to my husband John, who is one of the delegates to the convention, I have often thought that the passion for liberty cannot be equally strong in the breasts of those who have been accustomed to deprive their fellow creatures of theirs. I could go on, 
Now that we have put my plan in place, there is little for us to do except wait and pray for a victory for the Patriots. Why don't we all walk back to my home for that cup of coffee and jumble cookies I mentioned earlier? That sounds wonderful, Abigail. Thank you. A rest is just what we need after so much excitement. I'm going to pause our adventure for a brief message about today's sponsor. Don't go anywhere. The Reading Bug and I will be right back in just one minute. For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much more in the hundreds of episodes of The Past and the Curious. You know, quite often people will say to me, Mick, my kid loves your show. But you know what? I love your show too. And that's what it's all about bringing grown-ups and kids together to learn and laugh while they discover new stories about underwear saving people's lives, the origin of the swimsuit, or figures like inventor Garrett Morgan, astronomer Mariah Mitchell, or spy and baseball player Mo Berg. So if you want to get hip to the show, you can find The Past and the Curious in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Today's episode of Reading Bug Adventures is sponsored by Scholastic and Cat Kid Comic Club, Perspectives, the new graphic novel from Dave Pilkey, the creator of Dogman. <laughs> Cat Kid, always getting into trouble. <laughs> so, so silly. Reading Bug, are you reading the second book in the Cat Kid Comic Club too? I haven't been able to put it down. Yes, yes, yes. Lauren, you know me. The very second a new Dave Pilkey book releases, I'm at our bookstore to read it. I don't think I can even count how many times I've read Dogman, and now I'm really into Cat Kid. Aren't graphic novels great? I'm a very visual person, and I just love all the illustrations, and I like to read them again and again, just like you, Reading Bug. Yes, and the Baby Frog's mini-comics in this book are great, too. Did you know that Dave uses all kinds of paints, watercolors, colored pencils, and even photography in these books to create the hilarious shenanigans in Cat Kid? I didn't know that, Bug. I do know that graphic novels take a long time to create because there's so many pictures and words to go along with them. Yes, and I've been waiting for Cat Kid 2 for so long. Come, dive in with me. Okay, Reading Bug. Want to read it aloud? You know I do. You can purchase Cat Kid Comic Club Perspectives at thereadingbug.com or your local independent bookstore. Thanks to Scholastic for their ongoing support. Welcome back, reader. We're just finishing our jumble cookies and coffee with Abigail Adams and her young son, John Quincy. So you made it back just in time. You know, that little boy, John Quincy, is going to be the sixth president of the United States of America. Abigail is the mother of a United States president. That's not all. 
In about 13 years, Abigail's husband and John Quincy's dad, John Adams, will become the second president of the United States. His term begins just after George Washington's ends. So Abigail Adams will become the first lady of the United States? Yes, she'll be the second first lady of the United States. <laughs> What's that, dear? Oh, nothing, Mrs. Adams. We were just discussing how, uh, good these cookies are. A recipe from my mother. I just love them. Reader, we're still back in 1775 with the reading bug, the spelling bee, and our new friend Betsy. Betsy was having a bad day. She wanted to run for class president at her school, but she's running against three boys and was discouraged that all the American presidents so far have been men. So the reading bug decided to bring her back in time with us to meet Abigail Adams so we could all see what a powerhouse Abigail was and how important she was to American history. And you were right, Bug. Mrs. Adams is incredible. Even though her husband had warned her to flee with their children in the event of danger, Abigail refused to leave her workers, her home, her livestock, and her crops. Her bravery reminded me that girls are strong, brave, and proud. That's great, Betsy. But I still think we should jump forward in history so that we can see more. The founding men and women of this country did some really remarkable things. But what about the Battle of Bunker Hill, Reading Bug? Remember, Paul Revere rode into town to tell us that patriots were running out of bullets. Abigail Adams sent him to collect metal from the neighbors to melt down for bullets. But what if the Redcoat armies win? Don't we need to stick around here to help Abigail and John Quincy? It's okay, Lauren. I've read about this battle. The bullets that Abigail's neighbors made helped the Patriots defend against the attack. Unfortunately, the British Redcoats still won the battle. But the Redcoats lost half of their soldiers. And when it was over, they were surrounded by Patriot soldiers and could not get out of Boston. So even though the British won, the Battle of Bunker Hill was a turning point in the Revolutionary War because it helped the Patriots realize that they might still be able to win the war. After the loss, the commander of the Patriots, Colonel William Prescott, told his men that if they continued to fight as bravely as they had that day, the colonists might just win the war with Britain after all. So Abigail, her family, and her neighbors will all be safe? Yes. Oh, what a relief. Mrs. Adams, John Quincy, you're going to be all right. How, how do you know that? Trust us. You two have a lot more to do for the United States of America. Thank you for the coffee and cookies, but I'm afraid we need to go now. Hopefully we'll see each other again. I would like that very much. Thank you for your kindness and for welcoming us into your home. Now then, Magic Book Bag, we're all ready to see more. Show us what happens after this war. At the dawn of a nation ready to be free, the beginning of the U.S. democracy. Incredible. Stick a feather in my hat and call me macaroni. It's time to go. On the count of three, everyone into the book bag. One... Two, three, let's fly! What an amazing adventure. I can't wait to see even more. And Abigail Adams did not disappoint. She was every bit the independent, awesome feminist you said she'd be, Bug. Abigail Adams lived an amazing life. She was born Abigail Smith in the Massachusetts colony, where she lived with her mom, her dad, and her family. Though most girls back then were not taught to read or write, Abigail's parents recognized that their girls were bright, and although they couldn't travel, they studied at home, and adventures in her books were how Abigail roamed. Abigail dreamed of a life where she could do more than cook and sew and perform womanly chores. She didn't want to stay at home and wait quietly, while her brother lived a life that was exciting and free. Abigail is too wild, her mother sighed with remorse, 
But Grandmother replied, a wild colt makes the best horse. At 15 years old, she met John Adams, a lawyer. He lived far away from her, so they wrote many letters. Abigail wrote that she hoped for a life that was more than the life of a wife and a mother of four. She dreamed that her life would be extraordinary and that someday she would travel to London and Paris. Once they married, John was named to the Continental Congress. But for women like Abigail, there was still little progress. And when John sailed to France to negotiate a treaty, he told Abigail that ladies did not belong at sea. But Abigail sailed to Europe anyway, because she disagreed and wanted to participate. Through her life, Abigail fought for girls to be educated, because she found staying at home was quite overrated. And she fought because she knew that Americans couldn't be free until everyone there had equal rights and their liberty. As a founder, a fighter, and later first lady, Abigail Adams is an important figure in American history. Amazing! And look, I think we're coming in for a landing. You're right, look. I think we're heading for some sort of a city. There are a lot of brick buildings and nearby churches, shops and homes, and the dirt streets are filled with people walking and riding on horses or in horse-drawn carriages. Hold on tight. Raining bug, where do you think we've landed? I've got an idea, but we can't be sure until we take a look around. Everybody follow me. Wow. Look, reader. We're definitely in some sort of town or city. There are a lot of buildings and people all around. And look at that building. It's bigger than the others and it's made out of bricks. And it has a high clock tower rising from the roof. Just above the large clock on the tower, there's an even larger bell. Reading bug. Are we in the capital of the United States? In Washington, D.C.? Capital. C-A-P-I-T-A-L. That's a city or a town where government conducts its business. We are in the American capital, Lauren, but we're not in Washington, D.C. How is that possible? Washington, D.C. wasn't always the capital of the United States. We're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The building with the bell is the State House, and the bell is the famous Liberty Bell. In the 1790s, the capital of the United States was right here. But we're here a few years earlier. If I time the book bag's landing right, it should be 1776. And at that time, the capital was in Baltimore, Maryland. Well, then what are we doing here? Philadelphia in 1776 is where the Continental Convention is meeting. Look, I think we've timed it just right. There are soldiers with rifles guarding the state house and there are even a few cannons nearby. Oye, oye, oye. The Continental Congress is meeting again today in an attempt to reach agreement on a letter, a declaration of independence to be sent to King George, declaring our colonies independence from the British Empire. But they appear to be at an impasse. Oye. O-Y-E-Z. Oye means, hear ye, which is a call for silence and attention. Thomas Jefferson presented a new version of the Declaration of Independence for a vote by the delegates, but no agreement has been reached and debate continues. Tempers are rising as fast as the temperature, and the delegates are growing tired and irritable. And there is fear in the air that agreement on the terms of the Declaration will never be reached. Who is that, and what is he talking about? Raider, look, 
That man is standing in front of the state house, ringing a bell and holding a book. People are gathered around to listen to him. He's dressed up in a blue three-cornered hat with gold trim, a blue waistcoat, and brass buttons and white pants. That's the town crier, Lauren. I read that town criers were officials who reported out news and public announcements to people in town. Maybe we should go speak with him. Great idea, Bug. Follow me. Hello, sir. Uh, My name is Lauren, and these are my friends. We have just arrived in Philadelphia today. Could you tell us what day it is? Of course I can. Any town crier worth his salt knows what day it is. Today is July 4th, 1776. The 4th of July? That's what I said. But I have more important things to do today than tell every traveler that comes to town the date. My very important job is to make public announcements on the streets of Philadelphia regarding current events. Oh, is there going to be a 4th of July parade? Or fireworks? What do people do in Philadelphia to celebrate Independence Day? A parade? Why would we have a parade today? Or any sort of celebration. It's not a holiday. It's simply the fourth day of the month of July. Where are you from that the fourth of July requires a celebration? Lauren, reader, we celebrate the fourth of July in the United States to commemorate the adoption of the Declaration of Independence that declared the United States independence from Great Britain. It was adopted at the Continental Congress in 1776. You mean, today is the... First, 4th of July? That's right, but only if the delegates inside the State House agree on the Declaration of Independence. The town crier said that no agreement has been reached yet. But that has to be wrong. The Declaration of Independence is supposed to be adopted on July 4th, 1776. Everyone knows that. I can assure you that my proclamations are the most recent news. The Declaration has not been agreed upon, and it does not appear that there will be agreement today or tomorrow, or perhaps ever. What's taking so long? Have you ever tried to get a lot of people to agree on something? Do you know the saying, it's like herding cats? Well, it is. Remember, there are 13 American colonies and a total of 56 delegates representing them who are meeting inside the state house right now. 56? I sometimes even have trouble getting two friends to agree on what game to play at recess. We need to help them. What? We need to help them learn how to compromise so they can agree on the Declaration of Independence before it's too late. Compromise. C-O-M-P-R-O-M-I-S-E. That means finding a way to agree on something that you can disagree about by talking and finding common ground. Exactly. And compromise is really, really important, especially today. The Continental Congress has to reach an agreement right away, on July 4th. Who knows how history will be changed, or whether there will even be a United States of America if the Declaration is not agreed upon today. If we could just get inside and help them find a way to compromise. You see things your way and I see them mine. But if we work together, things will turn out just fine. You give a little and I'll give some too. We'll meet in the middle, it's the right thing to do. Let's all learn to compromise. Just try this one on for size. A great way to show that you are wise is learning how to compromise. We don't 
always see eye to eye So let's talk things through and not vilify Listen to me and I'll listen to you We'll work together to create something new Let's all learn to compromise Just try this one on for size A great way to show that you are wise Is learning how to compromise Let's all learn to compromise Just try this one on for size A great way to show that you are wise Is learning how to compromise I think I know a way for us to get inside. You do? But there are soldiers guarding the doors to the state house. If we try to sneak in, they'll catch us for sure. Not if we belong in there. Belong there? What do you mean, Reading Bug? The town crier gave me an idea. He's reporting news about the Continental Congress to everyone outside, which means he has to go inside to learn about what's happening. Well, sure, but... So what if we were town criers? They'd have to let us inside, right? I suppose, but we're not town criers, Reading Bug. We're just adventurers, visitors here. But if we dressed up like town criers, we could trick them into letting us in. Dress up? I didn't bring a costume on this adventure with me. Me either. Did you read her? That's okay. We can make our costumes. All you need is a piece of paper. That's all? Yes. We're going to make tricorn hats, just like the one that the town crier is wearing. Just take a rectangular piece of paper, like the one you brought to color illustrations. The bigger the paper, the bigger your hat will be. You can even use a newspaper if you have one. If you want to see instructions for how to make our hats, you can find them on readingbookadventures.com. First, take your paper and fold it in half lengthwise. Next, on the folded side of the paper, fold down the sides in triangle to make a point at the top. Finally, fold up the open sides at the bottom to make a rim for your hat. Then open the hat up and put it on your head. Great! You can fold the hat in the middle at the front, too, so it has three points, just like the town criers. Very good. You make excellent town criers. Now, follow me. Do you really think this is going to work? I have no idea, but let's go find out. As we approach the soldiers in front of the state house, you'll need to act like a town crier. Do you remember what the town crier was yelling? I do. He was yelling, Oye! Oye, oye, which means hear ye. That's right. Lauren, Bessie, reader, let's hear you all yell oye, oye as we approach the soldiers. Oye, oye. Keep it down there, lads. There's important business inside and tempers are already flaring. No need to disrupt the debate with your yelling. Tell them you need to deliver an important proclamation. Proclamation. P-R-O-C-L-A-M-A-T-I-O-N. That means a really important and official message. What was that? Um, hello, sir. We are here to deliver an important proclamation. We need to get inside. Inside? No one gets inside. Tell me you're the town crier. And that is your job, to deliver proclamations. But 
We're town criers. It's our job to deliver proclamations. Do you think the delegates inside would want to miss an important message like the one we've been asked to deliver? Town criers. Hmm. They are wearing tri-crown hats, Joseph. Maybe we should let them in. I don't know. Something doesn't seem quite right. Something about those hats seems... different. We're not only town criers, as should be clear from our hats. We are also friends of Abigail Adams, whose husband, John, is inside. You wouldn't want me to have to tell Mrs. Adams to tell Mr. Adams that some stubborn guards wouldn't let us deliver our very important proclamation, would you? Oh, definitely not. No, no need to tell us. You may enter. Quickly, right this way. Great work, everyone. Now, follow me. The delegates should be just through the doors on the front of us. Requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Look, I think it's John Adams speaking. Abigail's husband and John Quincy's dad. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That all men are created equal? What about the women like Abigail Adams? I don't think they really meant to exclude women. They just meant that all of the colonists, as people, had the right to govern themselves. They called everyone men. I read that Abigail Adams had even urged her husband to remember the ladies when writing the Declaration of Independence. She asked him to be more generous and favorable to women than Great Britain had been, and even told him that, if he didn't, that women would foment a rebellion. R-E-B-E-L-L-I-O-N. Rebellion. That means they will resist or even fight back against the new government. She was really something else. That governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. We've been through this part before. Move on. Here, here. Yes, but we've yet to find common ground on the Declaration, as the gentleman from Pennsylvania well knows. Let's adjourn for the day. No, you can't. Who, may I ask, are you? And what are you doing on the floor of the State House? I should have you tarred and feathered for such a disruption. Soldiers, who let these trespassers in? No, please. Mr. Adams, we're here to help. My name is Lauren, and this is the reading bug, the spelling bee, and Betsy and our reader friend. You simply must agree on the Declaration of Independence today, on July 4th. But we can't. We've been deliberating and debating for four days straight, and some in this chamber are just plain stubborn. Here, here, here. Who are you calling stubborn? Yeah, the stubborn one, John. Everyone, stop it. I know you're all hot, tired, and cranky, but you'll never get anywhere by name-calling. If you need everyone in this chamber to agree, everyone is going to need to compromise. Compromise? Yes, compromise. Mr. Adams, on our adventure today, we were able to spend some time with your wife, Abigail. I know that all of the colonists, men and women alike, have fought long and hard against the tyranny of the British government. That's right. And now all of the other colonists and your wife with them are counting on all of you in this room to reach an agreement and declare your independence. Think about everything you've risked. Think about everything your families have risked. And now you're only moments away from creating a new nation for all of you. But first, you need to compromise. 
You see things your way and I see them mine But if we work together things will turn out just fine You give a little and I'll give some too We'll meet in the middle, it's the right thing to do Let's all learn to compromise Just try this one on for size A great way to show that you are wise Is learning how to compromise We don't always see eye to eye So let's talk things through and not vilify Listen to me and I'll listen to you We'll work together to create something new Let's all learn to compromise Just try this one on for size A great way to show that you are wise Is learning how to compromise Let's all learn to compromise Just try this one on for size A great way to show that you are wise Is learning how to compromise You're right. There will be no adjourning today. We'll work through the night if we must, and we'll compromise so we can reach agreement for all the colonists who have given so much. And once we in this chamber agree on our declaration of independence, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shoes, games, sports, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. Hear, hear! I can't believe it worked! Not yet it hasn't. You heard John Adams. He said that they would work through the night. And it's getting dark out already. They need to move quickly, or they won't agree until July 5th. I have another idea. You do? What is it? Click, head over to that window in the corner. Now, while no one is looking, open the window up all the way. That's your plan? Open a window? Yes, if it works. You'll see why. Ugh, this window is stuck. Reader, help me open it. Great, it's open. Now what? Just wait. Where are all those flies coming from? Hey, fellas, leave my friends alone. We need to speed up the compromising and get those delegates to reach an agreement on the Declaration of Independence right away. Think you can help? Flies? Flies? What are these flies? Oh, flies in here. It's oh. me. What's happening? Dadgummed horse flies come from. They're fighting. I remembered that I read in What is the Declaration of Independence that there was a horse stable near the state house. And where there are stables, there are lots and lots of hungry horse flies. On July 4th, 1776, the horse flies from the stable made things so uncomfortable for the delegates in the state house that they sped up their deliberations and reached an agreement. You mean... Horseflies are the reason we celebrate Independence Day on the 4th of July? That's right. Bugs have played important roles in important events throughout history. Do you hear that? It's the Liberty Bell. That must mean that all of the delegates have all reached an agreement. They compromised and settled their differences. 
helped along by your horsefly friends, of course. Come on, let's get out of here and see what's happening in the town square. Oye, oye, oye! The Continental Congress has approved the Declaration of Independence. John Hancock, president of the Congress, has sent the declaration to the printer and it will be distributed to the colonies tomorrow. The declaration will be read out loud on the steps of the State House on July 8. Three cheers for our newly formed nation, the United States of America! What a relief, Reading Bug! Because you read so many books about the American Revolution, you remembered what finally caused the delegates of the Continental Convention to approve the Declaration of Independence, and you saved the day! I sure would love to stay and join the celebration down there on the streets outside the State House. But I think it's time for us to get back home to our families and friends. I can't wait to tell everyone about meeting Abigail Adams and how we worked together to help the Patriots in the Battle of Bunker Hill and to make sure that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Thank you so much for taking me on this amazing adventure. The first thing I'm going to do tomorrow is to prepare my speech for my run for student body president because you and Abigail helped me realize that I am brave, I'm fantastic, I'm strong, brave, and proud. And when I put my mind to it, I know that I can do it. I can do anything. Okay, are you ready? Let's all flap our wings and fly back home together. Hop three times with me, then into my book bag. Here we go. One hop, two hops, three hops, and we're in. We've had a big adventure within our book bag, and I think we saved the day. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, book bag. Now it's time to fly away. Reading bug, spelling bee, reader. I'm so grateful that we traveled back in time today to beat Abigail Adams and to make sure that the Declaration of Independence was approved by the Continental Congress. I'm delighted that our adventure had such a happy ending. Today was a wonderful day, but it took seven more years until 1783 before the U.S. War of Independence ended and the United States of America became an independent nation. And even though most of the books about the American Revolution focus on our founding fathers, Colonial women were just as brave and strong as the men. I read in Guts and Glory, The American Revolution, that many Patriot soldiers brought their wives with them to the battlefield. These brave women risked their lives to cook meals, take care of the wounded, carry supplies, refill the ammunition, and bring pitchers of cool water to the thirsty soldiers. Some of them even fought alongside the men. When Mary Ludwig Hayes' husband came down with the heat stroke and couldn't fire his cannon, Mary, whose nickname was Molly, stepped in and kept firing the cannon for him. After the war ended, Abigail's dreams became reality when she lived with John in Paris and later in London. She even got to meet King George III and the Queen of England. In 1789, George Washington was elected the first president of the United States of America and John Adams was elected vice president, making Abigail Adams the first second lady of our country. And in 1796, John Adams was elected the second president of the United States, and Abigail became the second first lady. Everyone back then thought that the president's wife should stay out of politics, but Abigail Adams was her husband's most important political advisor. She discussed his appointments with him, edited his speeches, and researched foreign affairs. She was so involved in politics that President Adams' opponents referred to her as Mrs. President, but she considered that name to be a compliment. 
so, Bessie, Abigail Adams was the first woman to be referred to as Mrs. President. Even though she was called Mrs. President, it took more than 200 years before a woman was nominated by a major political party to run for President of the United States. Hillary Clinton was defeated, but in 2020, Kamala Harris became the first woman to serve as Vice President of the United States. Let's be sure to illustrate what we saw and experienced today to introduce our friends and family to the courageous men and women who fought for our country's independence and tell them more about the revolutionary life of Abigail Adams. Sadly, even though the Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal, slaves did not gain their freedom or the right to vote until 1868. Women did not win the rights to vote until even later in 1920, and the fight for equality continues even today. You're right, Reading Bug. I can't wait to tell the story of all that we learned about the American Revolution on our adventure back in time today. Me too. And if you enjoyed today's adventure and want to learn more about Abigail Adams and the American Revolution, you can read any of the books in my book bag. A complete list can be found at thereadingbug.com adventures. And I hope you draw some exciting illustrations of our adventure today, reader. Hey, we're back. You're right, Bee. We're back home, safe and sound. You know, I'm really thankful that I have good friends like you, Reading Bug Reader, and our new friend Betsy, too, to adventure with today, because... When you're a reader, you're a leader, you're ready to learn about everything as you grow. You'll show this world that you can be anything. You could write a book or fly a plane, build a house with a giant crane. Whatever you do, one thing will be true. There's nothing you can't do. You can see it through just by being you. Cause you're a reader, you're a leader, you're ready to learn about everything as you grow. You'll show this world that you can be anything. You could sing your way into a Broadway show. Don't let anyone tell you no. Whatever you do, one thing will be true. There's nothing you can't do. You can make your dreams come true just by being you. Thank you for joining our adventure today, reader. The Reading Bug Spelling Bee and I have to go now, but we can't wait to see you on our next Reading Bug adventure. Bye-bye. See you next time. It's a Reading Bug adventure. There's lots of fun in store. Just inside our book bag, there's new places to explore. Grab your crayons and paper and your imaginations too. The Reading Bug and I can't wait to share our Today's episode of Reading Bug Adventures is sponsored by Scholastic. Thank you for listening to Reading Bug Adventures. I'm Lauren Savage, and today's adventure was an original story written by Diane and Brandon Savage. This episode was performed by me, Chloe, Riley, and Brandon Savage, Dan Shern, and my nephew, Matthew Shern, and by Gabriela Melendez and Lila Engelman. Sound mixing and mastery is by Resonate Recordings. The Reading Bug is our family-owned independent children's bookstore in California, and we are passionate about educating, entertaining, and engaging children of all ages. Learn more about us at thereadingbug.com and our personalized subscription box service at readingbugbox.com. Thank you. 
Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.